Sure. So our warm up is usually either there's either two things. It's usually ISOs, a series of different ISOs, or uh, we'll just play a small side of game for a couple of minutes. And, and it usually depends on the demeanor of the athletes, the way they come in. If they're like really bogged down from like play and tournaments that they're already doing, we'll we'll spice it up. It's like, all right, let's just work our way slow into a gameplay. But if it's if they're pretty like in good spirits, all right, we'll start with some ISOs, reps, oscillations. And then we'll go into some sort of plyo series, low extensive, whether it's just either simple bounding, skips, and then we'll work some figure eights, and then we'll add a ball to a figure eight. Maybe we're going to do this today. And then um, divide them up into teams. We'll play a little bit, flying 10, flying 20. That was Jeremiah Flood, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and KBox, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that, as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. When I was a young athlete, I put tremendous time and energy into becoming the best um, physical athlete I could be. I, I mean, I wanted I wanted to be the best. <laughs> I wanted to be the best I could at the sports I played as well. But I really put my time and energy and investment into physical skills in many ways. I wanted to be as fast as I could, to jump as high as I could, to get stronger. And those things definitely helped me. I believe it helped me quite a bit in my high school basketball career. And becoming better physically was a huge factor in becoming a track and field athlete on the college level and what I accomplished there. But despite all that work on the physical. My weakness was absolutely mental and emotional ability, perceptual and reaction ability, and all the things that really that the good athletes in their sport have. I was probably the king of frustrating my high school basketball coach with my inconsistency, having these flashes of, of ability, but then the next game scoring like two points and making a bunch of turnovers. And if I could go back in time, I would love to have a, a physical preparation coach who not only could have helped me in my physical abilities as I loved, but also to tie that in with the mental and emotional, the perceptive, reactive, all those uh, elements that holistically speaking can help us maximize our outputs in the games we play. So that brings up our guest, Jeremiah Flood. He is a sports performance coach and the owner of Flood Sports uh, Training Company in Southern California. Jeremiah was a former NCAA D1 defensive back uh, and later found the sport of rugby and eventually garnered a professional contract. I talked about how in my experience as an athlete, I worked super hard on the physical, really grinded that out in a way, but ignored the mental emotional. And Jeremiah, as we'll talk about on the show, was kind of the opposite in his experience as an athlete. He was really seeking all those factors of gameplay, mental and emotional, and has this unique situation where now he works with athletes in a sports performance setting. And so today, as uh, a term that Jeremiah has mentioned on his website, uh, we'll be talking about the speed of the mind and the body. 
In the show today, Jeremiah is going to take us into his system on, yes, training speed and physical abilities, but how he blends that with gameplay, how he uses perception and reaction in various games, and then how he talks to athletes about their mental and emotional factors that lead into those games, and how he uses that as a holistic vehicle to give athletes just the best facilitation they can to achieve their top sports performance on all factors, not just the physical, but also the mental. This was a really fun show. And all these, all these chats on mental, emotional, technical, tactical, and perception reaction, and, and all these shows have made a big Im- impact on me. I continually am finding myself reaching back into these shows and the concepts within and looking at how I'm engaging athletes and how I can give them a better experience. So I'm really grateful for having these coaches, coaches like Jeremiah, on the show. And I'm excited to get this episode to you. Let's get on to it. Episode 258 with Jeremiah Flood. Jay, welcome to the show, man. Uh, first question I wanted to ask you is, especially given the topic of today's conversation, your experiences, I know a lot of coaches had some interesting revelations or ways that they had to change their training during COVID and getting kicked out of gyms. But tell me a little bit about uh, what you did. What did you guys end up doing in the outdoor space? And how did that impact your training? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, so when we were told that the gym was going to close for two weeks, we just took it as that. And then we told the kids, all right, we'll be at this field, meet us here. Two weeks turned into a couple of months and a month turned into a year. But we, the bright side about it was there was, there was no games, right? Um, school was at home. So they were done with school relatively early. And in the summer, uh, we focused a lot. We were able to focus on actual development and not just quote unquote microdosing, but we were able to work true acceleration, true max speed. We were able to expand some of our, our gameplay settings and really work scenarios and reaction and perception and action and read and react and really take time to get into each individual's needs in regards to sport. So it was a hard process, a difficult and unprofessional setting where we had to jump fences to get to certain fields and parks and somehow hide 15 to 20 kids from, from onlookers, but we made it work. Yeah. What, uh, what do you, how do you train when there's no competition? I think a lot of coaches were in that boat. You had seasons getting canceled and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And now, and, and I've thought about this a lot myself lately, just, just like philosophically with training versus yeah. competing. And Paul Cater, who's north of you a little bit, has talked about this as like training it's you don't have a coach there kind of like you know looking you know scrutinizing your every move you have permission to be more creative or to basically experience things in a different way and so i'm curious how you took on that time where there's not you know this there's this huge chunk where you're not competing what was the messaging yeah. like what how did athletes respond so we knew that sports would come back right so first day i was like look we don't know when sports are going to happen we know they're going to happen so we're just going to prepare you for when it does happen. And thankfully we've already had a history of having games. Like we have a particular game that we play and we played that every Friday for it's going on four years now. And we already had that set up. So we just turned it into Friday night, Fridays. We're going to play this game Monday through Thursday. We are going to train like normal. We'll do our sprints and we'll develop you explosively, plyometrically work capacity, all the, all the fun training stuff. And we could work on certain scenarios for that particular game. So we turned it into our like little, it's called Gator Ball, our little Gator Ball League. And we would design, we would have set teams for a period of time. So there'd be like a mini series. And then every month we'd change teams and so forth and so forth. So I knew that like when sports eventually come back, or I assumed rather, I assumed that when sports would come back, sport coaches would try to catch up on lost time. And so that was our biggest focus to prepare them for that, like prepare them for the sport coaches to run them into the ground <laughs> and, Oh, it sounds so bad, but run them into the ground overwork. And like, we only have two, only have a week left to get ready for season, things like that. But thankfully for those who showed up pretty much every day for nine months, they're alive and well in their season and they withstood that part. But I think having that game, and having some sort of structured, scheduled competition, that took some of the some of the ease off and itch off for for the athletes. 
I could totally see that. Yeah, I think no matter what, and maybe that's the balance. Like, there's always some culmination of what you're doing. That's that's uh, yeah. where it comes together. And uh, how do you play Gator Ball? Like, what's the how, <laughs> what's what's the what's the deal there? Well, that's that's the fun part. So, Gator Ball actually started off as a childhood game that I played. So it was team handball, but you got to tackle each other. Okay, <laughs> um, just no ravages, hard shoulder charge, like kill the man with the ball. I don't know if you played that growing up, but we played that. Mm-hmm. And it was this similar thing. Obviously, we can't tackle here. So we combined that premise, team handball, with a rugby drill I used to do when I played. Is that if you get tagged or tackled, your whole team has to get up, touch the goal line where the other team is operating on a fast break. And so that was our hide the conditioning part of the game. Mm. And so even team, 7 on 7, 10 on 10, whatever the split is, to make it interesting and sport specific to whoever's playing. So basketball players, they can dribble. That makes them immune to the tag, but then it also forces them to think. So like if I dribble on grass, do I really have handles? Should I pass? The ball can be stolen. So it's like a risk reward ratio. Soccer players, as long as the ball's on their foot, they can't get tagged as well. They're immune, but they're not immune from someone slide tackling. They're not immune from contact. What else is there? Oh, and for creativity and just embarrassing taking angles, if you like meg yourself or meg an opponent, it's a plus one bonus point. So that's where things get interesting because like they're just going out for blood. They're going out to take your ankles. They're going to try to meg you, embarrass you, get an extra point. So we usually play up to, I think one time we played up to 100. And that could take any time to like 60 minutes, depending on how even the teams are matched, but that's the soul the soul like breakdown of the game. It's just team handball with particular sports skills that you can use to your advantage or disadvantage. Yeah. I love that. I love the, the idea of just, and we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but sneaking conditioning yep. in there where it's like, it's conditioning, yep. but it doesn't feel like it's not like, nope. Oh, it's the end of practice and we got to run and all that. And I, <laughs> exactly. I've, I've had such good luck having sport athletes play a game to warm up. That is not their sport. So that's already fun. And then a situation where like, if you, the, a team that lost the game, I I'd never thought of like having it like live in the game. I think my mind just works a little slower with some of that stuff. Cause I'm not <laughs> the perception reaction, how to really drill that in is not my true strength for sure. But it's, I would have like, if you won this round, then the other team has to do like a court suicide or something. And it never was right, like, right. Oh, I'm like, this is, it's just like, Oh, I lost. Okay. Got to do it. I'll win the next game, you know? And so it's like mm-hmm. you play and then sneak a little bit of running in and then you know, everyone's got to, but everyone's got a smile on their face. You know, it's like even the team that right. had to run, they still got a smile on their face. They're still enjoying it. Come back. Let's play the next game. Okay. You lost. You guys got to do like 20 push ups or something. It's not. So I, I was psychologically it just goes down. I feel like, and it's not like, um, I like the idea too of mixing. I don't want to get too like in the weeds, like you know, the physio and neurological, but like when you mix like a long-term stimulus, like a longer run with short bursts, and then go back to mm-hmm. long and back to short bursts. I just think the body also responds to that better. It's just, it's a better wave than like, you know, practice with a bunch of little short stuff. And then, all right, we're going to run you hard, like up and down the field for 20 minutes. It just exactly. goes, it just goes down better mentally and psychologically. Yeah. And the constraints are like the same. Like it could be like, we would change the field size. It would never be the same field size. So the run back to your goal line, if your teammate got tagged, it could be really short. It could be really long. And it would force like, teams to actually make formations so we would have like a, a formation like soccer you would have a back line a middle line and your strikers so to speak and that's where the kids got really creative as far as using quote-unquote skills or their sports to their advantage like all right well you play safety and your linebacker you should probably be in the back line and to just in case if we get tagged we you guys can run up and stop ball and so it was fun to see the different athletes from different sports communicate and play to each other's strengths or times when they didn't play to each other's strengths and it was just a massacre. Yeah, it's it's really the blending of all these qualities is so intriguing to me, like not just reducing the noise. Basically, we're getting everything we need you to get as an athlete with mm-hmm. in with almost as minimal disruption of flow in an hour, an hour and a half as humanly possible. And right. the point where the athlete walked out and they're like, they don't, they're exhausted, but they don't necessarily felt like they like, 
you know, had a coach cracking the whip on them. It, it was all almost exactly. self. There was so much intrinsic motivation because of the tasks at hand. It just, mm-hmm. it, it organically emerged that way. And so that would be kind of like the main theme of what I wanted to ask you for a lot of these questions is what got you interested in the blend of cognitive development with physical development or basically combining these elements we see in games with that of training and everything that goes with that with a mind-body physical perspective? It started with rugby, actually. When I was transitioning from college football to rugby, it's obviously a huge difference in skill sets, perception action as far as catching, keeping your eyes ahead of you, and then passing. It really forced me to build that ability to scan the field. I didn't have that when I first tried to play rugby. And I thought I could just use my speed and physicality, but in rugby, everyone has that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to find a way to differentiate myself or just evolve myself. And the, I watched the best players and they were able to anticipate gaps, set their teammates up in gaps, which is probably the most underrated thing about rugby. It's like, I'll take these two on. You have a 40 meter try. Go ahead. So I would just watch a lot of film of the All Blacks New, uh, from New Zealand, Argentina guys that I wanted to emulate and that led to reading the book legacy and they talk about yeah they talk about keeping a blue head and I noticed in my games that I would not see the field like the field would be blurry so either I was too stressed like I didn't have control of my like breath or things something like that so reading the book legacy keeping a blue head that led to the book the champion's mind which I recommend for most athletes it really gets down to the mindfulness part of being an athlete and how to set up a routine, how to self-talk, which is very important. From there, let the performance co- the performance cortex, the baseball book. And I didn't realize, like I have a master's in exercise science. I had no idea that decision-making can be trained, right? So those three books led to, huh, maybe there's something out there that I don't know. And then that led, again, down the rabbit hole of the playmaker's advantage. And that was the book that really like set everything off for me. And then at that same time, when I was finishing up rugby, deciding whether to go professional or not, I was working with these kids, like this same group that we have, we have now, but three years, four years prior. And, and that's, I just started implementing things went based off feedback from parents that there was like a disconnect between speed training and performance training to their actual game. Yeah, and that's something I think I know we'll circle back on at some point is your training methods and then what are expectations from parents or coaches and training. And I think that right. as as the sports performance field does become more integrated with the mind, the body, mm-hmm. the decisions and reducing noise and making it all more organic. But you mentioned two things there. Uh, I'm sure there's probably more, but the routine and the self-talk. How do mm-hmm. you set up? I, I think about this when I if I was to include games, which I will include like small ones that I can handle with training and that I understand. but I think that almost more important than the game is, well, what what are you noticing an athlete doing in the game? Like, what where's their hangups? Like, what mm-hmm. where do they have their, their greatest issues? And how do you help them to overcome that? And so, how do you set up your training and how do you give them feedback on some of those elements? Like, routine, for example, maybe your routine, self-talk, if you want to pick one or two of those things, and how do you go after those with a training session? Sure. So... We'll start with routine. I usually ask all of them when I first meet them or now that they're older and they're in high school. It's like, what do you do before games? Do you have a routine? Most of them say no. Like, I don't. I was like, do you listen to music? Do you listen to that? And they're like, no. <laughs> okay. I was like, here are these five questions. I want you, and they're, they're very self. Like, I was like, you don't have to show me your answers, but I want you to answer these questions. And it's just, what are my goals? What do I enjoy about sports or about the game I play? What do I want from this? What, where are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? And it forces them to be really honest with themselves, hopefully, right? Some of them show me, some of them don't. So it just forces them to be, to like really take a self inventory. And a couple of days, I'll give them a couple of days to write that out. And then we'll talk about it. And it's like, did you do the questions? And they're like, yes. So I was like, so what is going to help you? How does your coach use you? And, it, and I think that's a missing component because I'm not their sport coach. So I have to understand how their coach will use them in their system or in what's their role in the team. And then we just set that up. Like, it's like, oh, my coach really wants me to be a slasher. Okay, cool. We'll set up drills to where you have to slash, take contact, finish up the cup. 
or my coach really wants me to work on my catch and shoot, or I want to be able to do this. And so it's very athletically empowered. Then it's up to me to give them the environment to either fail or succeed along those lines. And then with self-talk, that's just a conversation you have to have with them. And usually that doesn't happen until 15, 16, in my experience, to when there's a lot of expectations on them from parents and coaches. And it comes down to like, well, what do you actually want from this? How do you feel? And then they go on and then it's that. I think this last, this this pandemic helped us to get into that realm. Usually with conversations you wouldn't have during a normal school year, but this really helped elicit those conversations, really grease the wheels on it. And we've had kids or have had athletes that I would share stories for myself. Like this was my mantra when I needed to like regain composure, narrow, narrow my focus to just the task at hand. And then they would come up with, hopefully they came up, they say they did. <laughs> hopefully they came up with their own mantra. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's so, that stuff is so important. Cause that's like you said, you have a master's and I think exercise physiology or science, right? Like I mm-hmm. don't, I have you know, similar uh, educational background and like there was no talk of Zero. any of that stuff i there might have been i did take a sports psychology class but it wasn't it wasn't so much it was more i think from the perspective of uh, like um maybe just general concepts as a coach but nothing into like there wasn't like visualization or self-talk or any mm-hmm. of that it was more like the the technical terms team cohesion and team this and <laughs> that if you're the like that one thing i remember from that course was like if you're the off- the home team in a basketball game, you're going to get more like blocks and steals because you're all pumped up. Right. And if you're like stuff like that was what I remember, but I don't remember anything. With, with Just glossary that re- terms. Yeah, that really that I was going to go and play intramural basketball later and be like, oh, yeah, this is why I keep screwing this up or something like I just never. And it like it's or, or when I went and played golf like later that year and was, you know, hitting everything left and right, like nothing that nothing that you really would take with you from that that level. And so. I love the idea of asking athletes, like giving those questionnaires. I don't think, I think it's a good practice for coaches to do that because otherwise I feel like they, it's easy to assume that every athlete is going to love your system and love your exercises Mm -hmm. and love the mold that you want to put them in. When in a lot of cases, this is just the physical conditioning and strength component. This isn't even the game. And so one of the things that I, I feel like is interesting is what have you found? Uh, what's your take on the athlete who may not I mean, I think a lot of strength coaches or performance coaches will say, oh, this athlete, like they don't, they just don't want to work hard. They don't talk about like the weight room and training. Like they don't want to run. They don't want to do this. You know, like I think it's interesting because I think there's a difference between observing and evaluating. Like you're making that, that you're, you just evaluate that. They're lazy, but you're, are you just observing them? What else, what happens when they get in the game? So what are your, what's your take with that type of athlete that I think frustrates a lot of people, but I you know you've done your work and kind of digging beneath the surface on it. Yeah, that's funny that you said that. The athletes that don't like to lift and, and run, I was that athlete. I never wanted to do any of it. So I think for us, it comes down to again, it goes back to that questionnaire because then you can hold them accountable to their words, right? And then you just have to find a way to lynch their goals to what you're doing into the actual weight room as like this is the type of player you want to be, this will help you. And then you can like compromise and find like, all right, we're going to do this X in the weight room, but we'll have some skill stuff going on at the same time. So it's kind of what we did. We did that a lot at the field where we would 20 minutes of gameplay and then we'd get into our, our plyometric series and then we'd go 20 minutes of more gameplay. And then we get into, and we use the gameplay to like, raise the competitive juices raise the arousal states into flying 10s and flying 20s mm. and then that would everyone would pr like if, as soon as one kid hits a pr everyone's like oh i'm running i got this yeah. my turn now so we just had to like weave that and then take it away from them after a certain amount of time it's like okay cool we did that now we actually have to do quote unquote hard work because this is just part of the process like there will be times in life where you do ha- you have to do things that you don't really want to do this is one of those times it's just paraphrasing but it was just creating that that merge and then holding them accountable to their words you make it makes it pretty easy to get that athlete to do something they don't technically really want to do 
Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that was our, that was the way we went about it. And it seemed to work. I like that it's their words and not yours. Jamie Smith, when he was on the US Strength, when he was on, he was talking about just how much decision making and autonomy he gives the athletes in his program. Because it's mm-hmm. like, we're not training these athletes to be robots. We're training them to be decision makers, to play a big part in this process. And when you exactly. can have an athlete say something and hold them accountable to that and then show them, well, okay, if you want to be this kind of player, look, you do need to do X, Y, Z here, but maybe you don't need to do X, Y, Z here. And I think that's, I think that's a big thing because a lot of athletes, at least in the gym context, they're just always told, oh, well, you just have to, you know, bust your ass and, and, and you do like, but it's, it's in context. Like what, how are you busting yeah. your ass? <laughs> you know, it's a relation yeah, to what they want. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. I would say too, I haven't worked in elite like team sport, but I imagine a lot of the best athletes are not the ones who like just live and breathe the gym. You know, they, they are PhDs in their sport. And they do, mm-hmm. everything kind of revolves around that as, as I understand it for the most part. So it's almost like maybe it's like a microcosm of just, just what it means to be a really good athlete in your sport. And then how do we you know, treat everything else? Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing for us. It's like, one, making sure they understood their sport. <laughs> so I, we had instances where parents would come up and like the sport coach is or their their soccer coach is calling my daughter slow and then we test her like eh, she's kind of fast she's 13 115 112 in the in the flying town like it's pretty quick <laughs> and it's just like well the coach is calling her slow and it's like well send film and let's see if she's actually slow or is she not being used the way she should be used or is she not understanding the system or she doesn't trust what she sees and more often than not, it's, it's, it's a little bit of all three of those things where she doesn't trust the system or she doesn't, her style of play doesn't fit the team. And then you have to fit that, find a way to get her to merge with the system of the team while still keeping her individuality or his individuality with anything. So that's, I think it's a, what I try to fix the most. I try to find links and bridges between all three. That's huge. Because I feel like, you know, if I was to ask you, well, I will ask you, how often do you think that the linchpin, the limiting factor for an athlete in, in accomplishing their goals is just pure speed? You know what I'm saying? Like, how often is that yeah, yep. is, is what they run in a fly 10? And nothing against that. I did a great podcast with Joel Reinhardt and Anna Cormier that talk about the flying 10s in season and that speed-based culture. I yeah, love that stuff. But fun. What I, yeah, and it's fun. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's just high coordination. I think it's really good. But at the same time, you know, it, with the level of athletes you work at and just getting to that next level, getting to college, like how often is that 10 meter speed, like in your mind, like the big factor that's going to. Yeah, it's really it, like, to be honest, it really isn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it might help them express certain skills faster and it might give them confidence. Well, it, it does give them confidence. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, this is how fast I am. I can use this on the field now. Like that is true. This is how fast you can be. And this is how fast you are. How do you blend that with, with what you're doing on the field? I think one of the, one of the girls was like a freshman last season. She was all state, all CF, all of that stuff. Her flying town was like a one, four <laughs> basketball point guard, but on the court, you can, she goes, she makes a cut. You can't stop her. So, mm-hmm. and she would tell you that, Oh, I just watched the top foot of the defender. And I know it's due from there. Yeah, I've played against okay. basketball players like that, and they dust me. Like I can't because it's like the, by the time the decision's made, I don't care if I'm twice as fast as you. It doesn't at that point. It doesn't, and especially a point guard like that real small space, that real tight space. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many how many plays are made by a point guard where it's more than five yards that really made the difference? Exactly. Like the they just need part. that the little eighteen inches of daylight for like Gale Sayers. But so that's the. Type of things. I was like, physical. Um, we're we're gonna make you physically fast. Like we're going to. Now, we're gonna create scenarios or environments to where, let's see, if we can replicate that with a defender on you, catching a ball, mm. chasing a ball, or reacting to something uh, goal oriented. And I think that's what the games that we use are designed for that. And that's why we kind of always follow up or sandwich the flying tens in between so it's like ah i hit a new pr let's let's see if i can do it again on the field right things like that 
I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about hypnosis and mental training for athletes. While talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix Formula, which was my first product I bought from them. I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the Shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, you can head to www.lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order and they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. I love the sandwich. I, I talked about that on a few <laughs> recent podcasts of like playing, maybe it's a Q&A one I just did, is like playing a game, five, 10 minutes, go run a fly mm-hmm. 10, then go play a game. And I find that that really helps the fly 10. It's like way more than yeah. if I just said, hey, we're going to do this 30-minute warm-up. It's going to be super specific. And then we're going to go run three fly 10s and we're gone. I've seen kids drop. Like a, 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 it was in a 20. I saw a kid drop almost two tenths in a 20-yard dash. Just by playing a game instead of doing a typical, like, just let it rip. I mean, it was really phenomenal. And that's another thing, too. It's mentally, like, you're not sitting there. Like, if you just do fly 10s, you're sitting there kind of between. Like, it's, let's say I'm doing three or four. Just mentally kind of, you know, maybe maybe you don't care. If you're like me, you're mentally beating yourself up on how to run faster. Because that's always what I've done. (laughs) And uh, But it's like, you play a game. It's like, yeah, I played a game. This is fun. All right, just let the next one rip. Don't think about it too much. Just run fast. And it's just mm-hmm. amazing what opening up all those explosive degrees can do. And then, so I like what you say. It reminds me a little bit about actually speaking of Joel and Andrew, that podcast we did. But Andrew talked about like having an athlete run and they have to like have their eyes like off to the side or something like that because that's why they yep. slowed down in the game. And so I just think that it's nice to start with some of these, especially like for someone like me, who's my game knowledge. I mean, ba- I did basketball in high school and honestly, I wasn't that good because of me just not being good and appreciating time and space. And I was maybe the opposite of you. I love uh, lifting and running and training. And I just wasn't, I didn't want to challenge myself with the sport. I just kind of played it basketball because I wanted to dunk in a game. Like that was probably half of, maybe not half, but that was a big reason I wanted to play. It was just to try to express this physical, oh, look how like much I've trained myself. Well, look how, you know, like, right, which exactly, is really yeah. unfortunate. It made me a worse player and probably less fulfilling too, but Anyways, I just think it's it's such a cool thing. So anyways, what I'm saying is myself, like I need almost things like that to start with. Like, okay, let's just do a 10. And maybe what's one thing that we could change to make this more relevant? And, and then that helps me because sometimes I'll say like different three on threes and four on fours. I'm like, I do not know what the hell is going on here at all. It's like, it's almost like you're watching a whole new sport for the first time. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like, like yeah. I'm watching rugby and I don't know, do not know any rules. These people are throwing the ball backwards instead of forwards. I don't know what the hell is going on. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm curious. Maybe you could take me through just like some of the simple, like basic, just uh, game speed principles. Like, yeah, how do you, would you adjust a fly 10 for an athlete who might need something more out of it? How would you maybe craft even like some of the very baseline rocks of some of the games you play that, sure. that try to develop some baseline skills? All right. So let's take this athlete in particular. She had a very... It's it's a funny story, but so her flying ten without a ball, her head would turn and she'd run like this, facing left. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but facing left. <laughs> oh yeah, facing left, <laughs> jaw just twerk, just crooked, straining on her face, and then you give her a basketball. It's like all right, try it with a basketball because that's what she played, and she would run like the most elegant, graceful form, just a whole in eighty, and it was literally the next flying sprint. We didn't change anything except give her a ball. And head forward, I guess, like the form that everyone loved, would love, and just honestly beautiful. So I was like, okay, you're going to run your flying tens with a ball from now on, just for now on. And it was like maybe a, a hundredth to a tenth fast, like yeah, a tenth faster. Like, and so we worked different entries. So either coming from a left curve or a right curve, dribbling the ball. And then we added a screener. So I would like follow her and then someone would set a screen on me. And then she would just run through the gates while dribbling the ball. And then slowly, but surely we started taking the ball away. Like now it's off ball screen. You're running through the gates. 
we're going to just fast, like lob a pass to you over the gates, track it down. And then, so things like that. And then eventually it's like, okay, you're just running. And just, but remember the feeling of having the ball or remember the feeling of chasing the ball down and just imagine, sounds weird, but just imagine the balls in front of you, even though you don't have one, right? Yeah. So even though you don't have one, just imagine that feeling or you're being chased down by LeBron, he's gonna you. So you better hustle so you don't get blocked at the at the cup. Things like that, and and it worked. We, I mean, we did other things to just like fixate her vision at the end. But now it, it's the head tilt's gone. This was, of course, over time. This didn't happen in one day, but this was, of course, over months. But now it's gone. So that's what we did for her to emulate this this like game feeling it's to raise. A, intention she's one of the kids who doesn't really like to run or lift like she'll she'll come to the gym i'm tired there's a day off of school how can you be tired like (laughs) she's that athlete so that's what we did and and now in the gym similar we'll we'll find ways to like incorporate a basketball to whatever drill she's doing or to make it meaningful for her and then for football players what we do is either they're shed a block like so i'll stand in front of them and they'll shed me run through pass drop turn chase the quarterback or excuse me no like if it's a seam drop the linebacker will just like drop into his pass coverage and read the pass and run through the gates just very simple things to initiate or imitate gameplay and then they'll try to make a spectacular catch after running through the gates things like that that's awesome so that's a basic way to do it yeah i love the idea of spectacular catch after running through the (laughs) gates like the more you can i mean it's like on one end, it's like, yes, there's times to not be specific to your sport. There's times to play other sports. There's times to play other games. And But I think mm-hmm. that almost gets taken so far. It's just as an excuse to, oh, just lift weights for an hour. And that's of course, right. that's different. But at the same time, there is, if the athlete has a smile on their face and they like it, and it, it there's something that's, even if it's like the same, you hear about, I think Dominican Republic in baseball might be an example, or Br- Brazil in soccer. Like, it's basically one sport areas. Like, but mm-hmm. it's different versions of that sport. You're playing in Dominican, you're maybe playing stickball in the street and then uh, offside of baseball. Or in Brazil, you're playing a small side game, futsal or something like that. But there's still, I'm sure there's still a smile on your face. You're still having fun. Maybe there's no pressure on one version of the game versus the other. And so I think about, that's just the thoughts that are going through my head because I think it's just so easy to say, well, you're a sports performance, or that's funny, you, you would have to say strength coach. You're a strength coach. This isn't your job. This is, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I just find it. If my job is a strength coach, though, my job is to put a smile on kids' faces. It's like, and you're going to be happy because you're getting stronger and because you're getting faster, but you're also going to have fun and you're going to play games that may have a lot of relevance to your sport or maybe they don't. And it's just fun because it's a game and you're just generally mm-hmm. enjoying, you know, moving your body and reacting. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, I know you, your situation is probably different than like a university coach or a pro coach, right, right. especially a professional coach too. You know, you're just, your job's to keep the players healthy and, you know, give them a good experience, but you're not going to like be sitting there like working there. <laughs> you, you have, you know, pro yeah. coaches right next to you. Right. Uh, so, but what, where do you feel like that blend is for your, the, the population of coaches that is working with high school, middle school athletes? Like what are, I mean, do you, how do you feel that job description is for that age? it's just it's everywhere right now like there's no really one job description everyone has their has their i guess specialty i remember when we started the shift like a lot of us like oh you're just the games coach i was like well sure we use games as a tool but i think one i think i do that because that's what i liked growing Mm -hmm. up and that's how i felt i got better and so thankfully like the kids that are here and the athletes that we're training feel the same way but my theory is if we have kids now, like growing up that only play one sport, like you, myself, I played multiple sports growing up. Once football season ended, it was on the baseball. Once baseball season ended, as was like two, a two months off and back to football, soccer here and there. Uh, but these kids now, nowadays, they're only, they're only playing one sport. And so they're missing out, I feel like, on this, this transference or this immersion of skill mm. that you can get from other sports. So I think during the pandemic, my whole process was, or my theory was like, let's have these different athletes play each other's sports so they can see the commonalities between them and the differences. So if you get a football player to play basketball, 
that's going to be a workout for him. And if you get a, a basketball player to play soccer, it'll be a workout for mm -hmm. them. But you're working different skills, but it's still, especially soccer and basketball, it's similar enough to where it's, they're invasion sports. So you can really pick up on things, but then you're, but you're building eye foot coordination and that can hopefully transfer into uh, foot coordination on the court and just things like that. So that was my theory with them in this particular window. As far as for the the industry, who's to say really? Like, yeah. I think I think you just take care of like all I say is like take care of what's in front of you and take care of them the best way you can. Yeah. It's the athlete performance coaching as a general entity, I feel like it's kind of an infinite game. Like it's there's just so many possibilities and what's the you know definitive endpoint versus the unactual sport where it's like you know, you're going to win the game. You're going to get this many points. Here's the audience. It's, right. it's just a little, I feel like the term does, that's why we say sometimes, what's the name of this industry again? <laughs> it's, uh, so that's interesting. I guess okay, so you talked a little bit about like the, uh, the tests and how you're running those, like in the flies and stuff like that. What, tell me a little bit more on your approach to testing in general. Like, I, and I know, especially in the private sector, right? A lot of people are compelled to say, okay, well you were slow as dirt when you came here and we probably didn't tell you how to do the test either. And now look how fast you are. You know what I'm saying? And so right. how do you how do you go about testing, be it you know, jumping or sprinting, or what are some things you like to test? And then how do you approach that to the athletes? We test or we time. I'll say we'll time. We time every time we're at the field. But we have a free lap, so it's like just a press of a button, so why not use it, right? So we time every time we're there and we'll bring or we did during the pandemic, we brought the Vertec to the track. But honestly, it was really up to them. Like we would, the flying tens are always built in, flying tens, flying twenties, because we're going to use that either on a curve, we're going to use that after figure eight, we're going to use it in some sort of game scenario, or we're just going to do pure flying tens or twenties, just so there's like a, a to get a maximal intent, right? As far as vertex, as a coach, can we do? Not much has changed. Like coach, can we vertex today? Should be feeling bouncy for sure. Let's go. We don't really put that much stock in it because, again, we use it as a confidence tool. It's like, all right, you've leveled up. How are you going to apply it? It's like you learned a new color. It's like being an artist. All right, you got a new color in your paint palette. How are you going to blend it in? How are you going to work it in? Or you got a new technique. How are you going to figure it in to what you're already doing or how are you going to use it in a game? And at basketball athletes, I don't know how many times they're going to reach their max flying 10 in a game if they ever do, but it can change their, their change of speed and their tempo. So they might be able to move faster and decelerate faster and things like that. And you have a better change of direction or agility with that. Well, if you have the balls change of direction, but it just comes down to that, the person, how they'll use it. Yeah. It makes me think about this, like the spectrum of things we use as coaches. And it's like, the coach always wants to test because we want to, you know, feel like we're doing something, right? Like how, what yeah. were your, what were your, I mean, although we, of course we see things getting better. You know, if you start lifting yeah, weights, you're going to be putting weight, more weight on each week. It's pretty simple. But I think about people talk about like testing one at max lifting is an easy example. Some people will say, mm -hmm. well, it's not really going to benefit you because you aren't gaining any strength by that test. You're just expressing it. And well, athletes, it helps athletes with confidence, which I would agree with. I, I would. I, I think there's something to be said there with that. But then the same thing with like a fly 10 or a jump, which is more relevant to sport. But even still, I think I've, I've thought about that more and especially in listening to you and talking to you and then just really even maybe the last year or two is like why it is the value of making the test more informal. Like you're saying, like, it's almost like we feel compelled to have the test. But I don't know, like for me, like when I was playing basketball in high school, the it's not like, all right, I'm going to test and see how high I can jump on this day at this time. It's kind of like, ah, we just ran some sprints. I feel bouncy. Let's see what I got. You know? Oh, I, I, exactly. and it's, and it's kind of like that thing where it's almost like easy strength in a sense, the easy strength lifting mentality is you don't really go much over 80% because you want to every, you want to win every lift. Every lift is a win. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, and again, it's not, I think you need to fail to get better, but maybe, but maybe the failure can be the tactical technical decisions or something like that. But I think in testing, it could be the same way. It's like, I always, I, and I'll say this too, even for the last several years, is I've gone to the point where I will avoid testing somebody or a group if I know it's not going to be good. 
I'm not going to do it because then people are just going to do it and they're going to be like, oh man, I got this. And they're going to have this like judgment about themselves or they might lose a little faith in the system. And as long as I've been a track coach, that's always kind of been in my blood is I don't want to, I'm not going to time this if it's not going to be good. Or uh, I've, and I've seen coaches too, who will time and tell an athlete they ran fast. You know, if it's like, (laughs) Hey, we got this big meet coming up and we're going to time this. And I've seen pretty good coaches, like see an athlete, you know, run something or do something. And then they'll tell the athlete they were significantly faster than they were just because it's like, you, you don't want to kill their confidence at that point. Like it's, there's a lot riding there. So it's almost, so basically saying it's kind of like an a la carte, like here's the Vertec. If you want to go jump, go jump. If you know, mm-hmm. more so than like, it is this day, it is, you know, this test day for yeah. this thing. And, and, and that whole vibe. Yeah. It's not a designated test day. That's for certain. Although whenever the Vertex is there, after like gameplay after like the session's done whatever you did for that day does it turned into the vertex olympics like yeah it always it's does just like, it always does it's just like all right i feel good we're like we're gonna do this and then i'll be home like 30 minutes later than i'm supposed to be things like that so that's the cool part for me because we have the tools and i mean just think about it when you're in school it's like all right today's a test but even for me as an athlete when it was test day, I was like, man, I really don't want to do this right now. Again, that's probably more me than the actual kids. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I do it. But as far as like speed tests, like we're, t- we're timing often. And it's funny that you said that about like track coaches, because we had a kid like for the last, he just got out of football, football started late here, obviously in California. And then maybe three weeks ago, and then he has to go right back to off season training in june so the end of this month and he was stressing this whole this whole week because he's like i'm slow (laughs) just the last three weeks i'm slow like my flying 10 is crap my 40s crap and i was like well you're also a linebacker like let's not let's worry about like contact let's worry about reshape like can you get to your pass drops can you read the quarterback let's worry about things like that he's like i want to be fast he had this like primal Mm -hmm. like desire about it and the other day I was like, just trust the process. Like it's going to happen. You just, we're doing a lot of stimulus all at once. Like just be patient. And then last, last Friday, nine, five, nine, five, nine, eight, one, oh, one, nine, five, where his flying tents. And he went from like a one, one, five that he was hitting like the Monday prior, a one Oh nine, the Friday prior. And just, just, just trust it. Yeah. Getting athletes to not mentally stress about just like it's the always the best when it just kind of happens like and it's always mm-hmm. been like that for me in in and i've always been the you know i think it's it's nice talking to you about this stuff because it's like where you're like i you know i don't want to test. like i was the opposite i was like i want to test but i think i became so much a part of me that eventually i started stressing it would eventually start right. stressing about it and putting a lot of pressure on myself and sometimes the more pressure you have it's just that eventually it's going to break you on some level you have to be enjoying fundamentally and have some level of enjoyment with what you're doing i think uh, when it comes to the testing and I've seen the same thing. I eventually, I, I used to schedule like Vertec testing for athletes, but eventually I started to realize a lot of athletes at the end of the workout, the Vertex up, they just want to go do it. And that's so much yeah. better than me making it a thing. Like you have to, when they get to choose and say, Oh, I finished my workout. Hey, I felt pretty good. That French contrast felt pretty good or whatever. Let me get mm-hmm. a jump in or two and, and see what I can do. And versus always having it it's always there like it's always as part of the script or whatever it's like you want athletes that isn't that the mission if the athletes are challenging themselves on their own autonomously versus you having to schedule stuff and then it's almost like there you gain more insight into things some of the things they really like to do and enjoy and that you know gives them more a feeling of yeah just what they enjoy doing versus i guess what you the coach enjoy doing Mm mm-hmm Definitely. And then like the good thing, it's like you see them autonomously like taking care of it themselves, which is also cool because like if they can express themselves autonomously, they can also self-soothe and recover by themselves. And I think that's also we're seeing a lot of that now after the pandemic. We've like we went heavy into isometric as a as a preparation and recovery, breath work and seeing that like me step away and then just watching them like trade at the gym like oh i'm not feeling it today i have to get my isocades on or i have to do a figure eight with my thumb things like that and seeing them handle themselves 
it's actually a really cool feeling to where I'm just like literally standing there not knowing what to do because they're taking care of it themselves. I think that's been that's been the newest revelation. It's been a welcome a welcome change, and, and it's been cool to see. What's your take on? I didn't have this as one of the plant questions, but I I think it bears mentioning because I. You know, every if you like everything you and I are saying is basically like it's all in the spirit of easy strength. It's like in you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Like, but I do think there is like something to be said of doing the things that you don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you, you always yeah. have to do something you don't want to do. You always have to approach that. You have to engage it to evolve. Life isn't just all the easy things, right? And I think anyone who coaches does know that. Uh, but how do you how do you approach what we would call toughness, like or getting athletes to do the athlete who? Maybe like they just like that fun, but they then they might struggle with some of those more, I guess, toughness oriented elements and they might crumble at certain points. How, what's toughness to you and, and how and when do you engage that in your work? Uh, toughness is just doing the task, really. I don't want to say tough love, but it's like it's necessary. You're going to just have to do it. And I'll say it differently. I'll say it's like, look, for what you want and what the goals you set for yourself, this is the path path is going to suck it's it's not difficult i mean sorry it's not easy it's going to be difficult and you just have this is the price you have to pay and whether it's a five minute lunge whether it's shock training for that day whether it's you know 23 second runs that that was a a big staple for our lacrosse players this Mm -hmm. past year and that's we all know that's difficult and that's not that's not easy 23 (laughs) seconds baby (laughs) that's the opposite of fun (laughs) And I think when you have a rapport and you're able to just like level with them, especially now that they're older, just, this is it. This is a kid. It's like, okay. You got it. But like that, that's the mental resiliency that's in just doing the task at hand. You don't need to be overly pumped up. You don't have to like psych them up. It's just, this is what it's going to take. And this is what's on the table. And then they'll get through it the first time. And then once they get over that 23 second run flu and they're able to talk again, oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. yeah. But I think just by doing it and then there's, there's no easy way out. Like you, you just got to do it. Simple. There's something that you said about that too, versus just like the, well, it's just 20 minutes of like running at the end of practice in the sense mm-hmm. that. I think that the more relevant some of that stuff could be like a 23 second run. Okay. You're not going to run a game for 23 seconds, but you know what? If you can do good at this, you're probably gonna be pretty good at getting up and down the field and you improved exactly. from last week versus, um, or even an ISO lunge. Like you got more time than you did before you were able to control your body and your breathing better, or you had a better mm-hmm. you know expression while you were doing it. And you, you didn't like, <laughs> you didn't make it seem like a big tear. I, I think that some of those really simple things are the best places to bring some of that stuff out. Like it's simple, it's relevant. I don't know. I mean, maybe you could say that about anything. Like you could say that about running, you know, two miles or something, but Ugh. yeah. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I like ISOs for that, I guess. Whatever that yeah. is toughness is out of that. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely, ISOs have been a big help with our, uh, just emotional and, and breath work and work capacity. It's definitely, especially talking with, um, Jared Burton train efficiently and and Brett Adams of transcending performance it's it's definitely helped with with our athletes and lot lot of toughness mental right mental toughness and then controlling your breath and bringing them from like a frantic stress state and able to control that frantic mm-hmm. stress state yeah and that- I think with the with the with the 23 second runs it's like I always forget that like college athletes have like conditioning tests to do when they get back. And so there's like running, like our lacrosse players are running like 15, 100s and 10, 200s. And I was like, well, if you can knock out eight, 23 second runs, you're going to be fine. And obviously we didn't start with eight, like God forbid, but like, it's just preparation, preparation. So dose there, like three, four, next time, five, six, and then, Worked their way up to nine. Yeah, it's it's. I was going to say, I keep wanting to jump in here, but I was I I do think like with the isometrics, at least as I've seen it with toughness, is the isometrics are not about burn tolerance to me at all. It's not about pain tolerance. It's actually about how can you use your breath to get through it. Like Mm -hmm. like this is gonna be really hard, but I can actually do better if I'm fully present and fully focused on my breath, and 
like doing like a four seconds in, eight seconds out, and nose breathing. At because it's like once your muscles are dying, like you can only mentally will them for so long, and right. I don't even know how much that really helps necessarily. I mean, there's probably something of it, but it's almost more how can I control my autonomic nervous system? And even too, like Tommy John told me, there's a I I, I copied and pasted it the video and put it on my Instagram of him doing a five minute lunge with Vladi, and he was saying former like uh, training business partner Vladi. And yeah. Tommy said he was doing great until he looked at his watch at about 4.10 or 4.15 or something. And then he started dying. So it's like right. everything that you do that takes you out of this exact moment is is what's going to get you. And it's not just, I mean, if it's really just pain tolerance, there's a lot of things we could come up with, like, you know, like the two mile test or something, or, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we could, but even the two mile test, you can overcome, I think, with the good breathing and those types of things. Mm-hmm. But I I just think that toughness is such a, just to say tough, like suffering ability is not, does not pay justice to, I think, the toughness that an athlete needs when they're on the, right. the court or doing whatever they're doing. Yeah, we've, speaking of toughness, it's, most toughness does come from love. And I'll, I'll give you the story. The reason why I say that is because we have a, another basketball athlete and she, her, her quote is, I don't have to do contact. I just run around them. Like, that's her quote. I just run around them you don't need to train contact Jeremiah. Like I'll just run around them. Lo and behold, I think, but we did it anyway. Last week or two weeks ago, loose ball dove, got kneed in the rib. She's been playing the fracture rib for the last like four games. And I was like, are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. I just don't want to stop playing. I'm good. Like I just love basketball. And since that moment, I mean, even that game, she played really well, but since that she's like had, 25 or more points per game so i mean that's toughness right like that's that's her willing herself knowing that she's in pain and technically can't breathe playing basketball because she loves the game and i think if if you can get to that point that that's true toughness yeah something to kind of break you out of your traditional habit or whatever mental pattern Mm -hmm. it's like something that's going to force you to supersede that and right. I think that's part of training. You know, we can weave that into training certainly too and, and have yep. that interplay. So I love that. All right. So just time for maybe a couple more questions here. And so one thing, maybe we, we've talked about it already, but the idea of uh, like, I know Caldeets is into this. Andrew Cormier talked about it. Caldeets probably one of the originators of this idea, but neural, uh, neural perplexity are basically things that challenge an athlete's cognitive load. You talked about a little bit with like the fly tens and how we're, challenging them cognitively we're, we're interpersing skills game spills skills into a already challenging movement from a coordinated perspective but is mm-hmm. there anything else in your training um be it the games you create or anything else where you're really trying to challenge uh cognitive load neural load or i guess cognitive right cognitive load when yeah. they're going throughout training we used to use i right, should probably get back to it but we used the stroop test a lot not only during the pandemic but in the gym prior to the pandemic as far as like the Stroop test, like say the color, not the word. Are you familiar with it? No, yeah, explain yeah. it to me. Okay, okay, cool. So the Stroop test is, it's like flashcards or it's just colors written out in their word form, but the different color of what it is. So red would be written in green oh. and you have to say green, but we can read faster than we can distinguish color. Mm. So that's where the hiccup lies. It's like, uh. And I think I read this from, Samuel Marcoa, he did the, the the research on like perceived fatigue and where they had like cyclists on a spin cycle and they had to do like brain problems while they're doing it. And then they tested again without the brain problems and they saw that like a 70% improvement in perceived fatigue and VO2, mm. something like that. But we used it. We started after reading that, we started doing that just simple, like go to the color of the corresponding cone. And then we start out of the task, bring your basketballs. You're going to dribble while you do this. And so that's how it started. And that's what we used a lot. And it, like one kid like would point to the middle of their forehead and it's just like, it's not hard, but it just hurts right here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had, we had the visual, the visual sticks. Um, it's Stroop test on it too. And then they would just ice a lunge while doing the stroop with uh, eye pursuits and saying that color for a minute of time and then going into a task. And, and that's what we did. And I think 
think it worked. We I, I didn't know if there was a way to actually test if it worked, but lots of feedback of like, oh, my eyes hurt. My brain hurts. My, <laughs> my brain, brain hurts. My brain hurts. You know you're training it then. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my fort, like just right here. So I was like, yeah, we like neural perplexity. We probably should get back into it. We haven't done it in a while, but I think it's built into as well as just like the gameplay built in automatically to the way we structure our trainings. So yeah, but yeah, we liked it. I know Cal Beach used to do, or I don't know if he still does it, but the subtraction while like the hockey skating. I read that and we did, I know I use it a lot for one of our young ladies who had ACL rehab. That was her first two weeks. We were just doing that just to some cognitive load was her quick hands. She was a goalie. So I wanted to keep her hand quickness. So how did that work with the hand? Like, did she have to like tap like the color or how did that work? Oh, yeah, with the sorry. Hand quickness? yeah. So there was four cones we laid out. We stacked up two boxes, plyo boxes. So she was just standing and she could like just rest her hands on it. And then we had four colored cones. So we had a green, yellow, red, blue. And I would have this matching corresponding colors and like foam, like tennis balls, whatever you want to call them. And I would just throw it up and she would have to catch the corresponding colors. So catch the blue ball and grab the red and the blue cone at the same time. Mm. So things like that we did just to keep her, her eyes active and her, her decision-making active and some hopefully build anticipation patterns still. We do a lot of visual occlusion. We still do that or where we'll like toss a ball, cover their eyes, and hopefully they can, by the peak of the ball, they can judge where the ball is going to be and catch it without seeing it. That's a fun one. Throw the ball at your face. You have to have your eyes closed until I say open. Then you get to open your eyes and hopefully catch it. We yeah we do that a lot. Hopefully yeah, like, uh, take a little bit off of this throw. Don't don't try to kill them. But that was a that was a go to favorite, and it, it's still a favorite. It really redefines rehab because usually you think of like rehab or return to the return to play process, right? Like the athlete probably mm-hmm. isn't doing; they're not going full speed with their team. You know, maybe they're shooting around or throwing the ball where they can. But it's like, how do you reengage that decision making process that? Because we just think in terms of the physical, but like, how can we speed up the brain again? And I think right. that the brain and reaction in the body too, I mean, I I don't have enough experience with this stuff, but I don't feel like it'd be a leap to say if the brain's working hard being challenged that the body's going to actually want to catch up. Like Exactly. I was hoping that would be the case. <laughs> and it turns out it was. She got back in seven months. But yeah, that was that was just the plan to, until the doc said, all right, she can move her knee. Then we went to slowly back into i let the pt do what the pt does and then we just figured out a way to scale down goalkeeping to where she wasn't moving full speed mm-hmm. right on yeah that sounds i mean just yeah the mind and the body and engaging that is it, it's just nice to add those extra dimensions and and the mm-hmm. more you, dimensions you can add into what you do i think they can all work together even better uh last question is just and i like to ask these but integrative what does a training session look like for you? Obviously, it's different for different folks, but maybe just a sample of one population and how how does yeah, this sure. come together? And I, and I ask too, because I, I think about reducing the noise, like, you know, right. doing all these different things that might be all separated. How are you integrating things? Sure. So our warm-up is usually either, there's either two things. It's usually ISOs, a series of different ISOs, or we'll just play a small-sided game for a couple of minutes. And, and it usually depends on the demeanor of, the athletes, the way they come in, if they're like really bogged down from like play and tournaments that they're already doing, we'll, we'll spice it up. It's like, all right, let's just work our way slow into a gameplay. But if it's, if they're pretty like in good spirits, all right, we'll start with some ISOs, reps, oscillations, and then we'll go into some sort of plyo series, low extensive, whether it's just either regular, just simple bounding skips, and then we'll work some figure eights and then we'll add a ball to a figure eight and we're going to do this today and then um, divide them up into teams. We'll play a little bit, flying 10, flying 20. Right now we just have a bunch of football guys. So we'll, we'll just break up into like a small seven on seven sort of, or so like four on four, run some routes, get back into some max speed. So flying 20s, 30s off curve, out of position stance, tracking ball. And then will end for the last 30 minutes we're we're playing it could be and it could be it could be just like full tilt one-on-ones or full tilt gator ball our game that we play and that's usually it in the gym 
depending on the day. It's a lot of, this is shock training. Let's keep it simple. It is what it is. So we have our, our depth drops, our depth jumps. Depending, we have like ISO bench press. We're doing a lot of isometric work and it's just, they feel better after. And I think that's all that matters if they can feel better after and really ready to attack their game. Now, are, you, are those separate training days? So like it's a field day or it's a weight room day. You're not really doing like, it's not, it would, would it be a day where you're like doing games and then you're lifting and stuff like that? I mean, I guess it's not truly that important, but I'm just curious. No, yeah. Some days we do both. So like Fridays, uh, like today, today will be a field day and a gym day. Some kids will go to the gym first, then field. And some kids will go to the field, then gym. And it's work, but it's fun. I know they're probably bored of hearing my same jokes, but try to take some levity off or just get <laughs> keep the stress off a little bit. For instance, we'll have kids who have basketball games today and they'll come after their game to the gym and then we'll do some ISOs for recover and then they'll be on their way home to sleep. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Awesome. Hopefully. Well, sounds good, Jeremiah. Well, hey, uh, I know that's uh, about the end of our time. So, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Uh, I always learn so much talking to, to uh, coaches like you, uh, as with all the guests on the show, but I, I enjoy talking to people who maybe had a different perspective than me in our time as an athlete and everything I can learn yeah. from you and how you view all this. And so it was really wonderful engaging in this conversation and I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It was, it was awesome. That wraps up another show. Thanks for being here with us. If you enjoyed the show, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, Whatever you're listening to, we'd really appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.